Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. everybody this is Sandra Beck and I've got such a treat today I'm visiting today with Paula Mounier and she is the author of Borrowing and of Bones she's got some other books she's got a new book coming out but what we're talking about today is what happens when you turn at one of these benchmarks 40 50 60 years old and you decide you want to write a book Maybe you want to write your story, your life story. Maybe you have an idea. And I get a lot of requests, Paula, for particularly women over 60 these days. And I think 60 is the new 40, because what I saw like 15 years ago with these people turning 40 and second career, second career, well, now I'm seeing third career at 60. And that's fabulous because we're living longer. And, you know, if we take better care of ourselves, we're still productive into our much, much later years. But I kind of think 60 is the new 40. And when did you start writing? Like, I know you're always a writer because you were a journalist first. But when did you get that book bug? Well, I started writing a long time ago, but I really always wanted to be a mystery writer. I wanted to be a mystery writer, but that was kind of like, it was kind of an ambition that I never simply got around to, right? I was in publishing. I was, help, I was the midwife as the editor, helping other people get published. I was writing nonfiction, but I wasn't writing my own mysteries. And I joined Mystery Writers of America. And I, you know, I had written half of mystery <laughs> several times and stuck in drawers, but I never really got around to doing it. And when it wasn't until I turned 60 oh. that I finally thought, okay, you know, I can do this. And my first mystery was published when I was 62. See, I love that because for many of us that are 40 or for me, I just turned 50. I'm getting to the point where my kids are 14 and 17 and I'm going, okay, what's next? You know, 20 years on radio, 20 years in, you know, kind of television production, media, digital production. Do I want to just do this Like, would this be my life for the rest of my life? Now, I'd be very happy if it was, but there's a part of me that wants more. Absolutely. I mean, I was thinking about this this morning because I'm writing book four in my mystery series and I'm on act three, which, of course, is the end, beginning, middle, end. It's it's the last act. And and in in a movie, in a play, in a book, act three is when all the big stuff happens, right? It's the climax. It's all these great things come together in act three. And I thought, you know, actually in real life is the same way, mm-hmm. you know, because you have the time. And for me, I had not just the time um, because I wasn't child caring anymore and I didn't have anyone in the house. And there was no one to take care of. And even though that was my raison d'etre for 30 years. First, yeah, I had my first child at 21 and it, w- it wasn't until my 50s that, you know, the last one left home and I had my empty nest crisis. Right. Um it wasn't until then that I realized once I got used to the idea, I thought, oh, I have not only the physical energy yeah. to devote to writing fiction, but I also have the mental and emotional and psychic space in my head to do that kind of work. And so it was a revelation to me that as upset as I was when my youngest went off and I was alone for the first time in my life. I was living alone for the first time in my life because I had gone right from parents to dorm to roommates to husband to kids. Wow. I had never lived alone in my life. And so here I was, 55, living alone. And it took uh, yoga to get me through that. But it also, it also became this impetus and this catalyst because I also, I left publishing. I left corporate publishing. Mm-hmm. I started working as an agent. I was running my own business for my, for the first time in my life and loving it. And it was just sort of a natural um, expansion of that, that, that having all that time to myself, even though I was really busy, it was my time to live my way. Gotcha. And that's what made the difference. Well, and you know, that's, you know, when we talk about like living my life, my way, some of us 
didn't have their first kid till they were 35 and 37. So, you know, I lived alone and I had a whole full life, you know, a whole, I had a full marriage. (laughs) I had a whole full life. I had a, you know, traveled the world. I did all sorts of amazing things. And then I decided, okay, now I'm ready to be a mom because I had problems settling down. So when I was ready to be a mom, but now that means that my empty nest is hitting and it's like a reboot. Because what I'm finding is the things that I used to do in my 20s, which was like get up and work out and, you know, draw and paint and take pictures and, and write and journal and do all these things, they're creeping back in my life at 50. So when you look at having your kids later in life, it's really act one, two and three like a book. Absolutely. I mean, I had my first child at 21, but I had my last one at 36. So I just had children my entire adult life. Your entire and, adult life. Yes. And so I think when you were saying earlier that this used to happen at 40, that's because people had children so much younger right. and they were grown and gone by 40. Paula, I'm just going to jump in here for a second because now is a really good time to thank our sponsor. You know, and as we talk about like, you know, the first act, second act, third act of our lives, and sometimes a fourth and a fifth act, we need money. And if you guys are carrying a credit balance months after month, it can feel like you're in a never ending cycle of debt. Upstart, which is our sponsor today, can help you make that final payment so you can get ahead. And if you dread looking at your credit card statements, boy, Paula, you know, you guys, we're not alone. Debt can feel crippling, but Upstart can help you on your path to financial freedom. Now, Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. And Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score and is expanding access to affordable credit. And unlike other lenders, Upstart considers your income and current employment to find you a smarter rate from your loan. Now, you can receive funds in as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. And with this little five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. Now, to find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today, go to upstart.com slash militarymom. That's upstart.com slash militarymom. And you guys, don't forget to use the URL to let them know that we sent you. Now, loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application, but I want you guys to go today. Check it out. It doesn't hurt to look. Go to upstart.com slash military mom. That's upstart.com slash military mom because you can take out a personal loan. You know, you can pay off credit cards. You can consolidate high interest debt or you can fund personal expenses. And, you know, that can be the second, third or fourth, you know, version of you and what you want to do. And, you know, over a half a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment. So go ahead, go to upstart.com slash military mom. That's upstart.com slash military mom. Now we're talking today with best-selling author and literary agent Paula Mounier about, you know, first careers, second careers, third careers, fourth careers, and, you know, everything's changing. Thank God we're all healthier and living longer. So we still have this third act that we can live out our dreams. We can live out our dreams in our third act. Absolutely. And I love what you said about like psychic space. And, you know, because one of the things that I struggle with, and I think a lot of women do, especially as you're at the later childhood years, you know, I still have a full-time job with my company and the kids don't need me every minute of the day, but there's still like a partition of that. That's, Mm -hmm. and then now at my age, you take on elder care. So, You know, we've kind of, you know, and my dad, I love him, but he's, he's like a 20 year old kid in my house. Sometime, you know, you still got to keep track of them and everything's okay, but they don't need your day to day. But what I'm finding is the, the emotional space or the psychic space or that, that creative space is so stressed right now. Cause you're, you've got kids, you've got grandpa, you've got work. And so when I, at the end of all of my obligation, when you try to be creative, I think that's really hard. And I think that's one of the things that probably can't happen until something moves away. Yes. I mean, I do think there's something to that. I mean, other people managed to do it, but I was not one of them. You know, I could write nonfiction, but fiction, you know, if, if nonfiction, if, 
writing is thinking on papers. And I like to think of fiction as dreaming on paper. And I didn't have the wherewithal to dream on paper with when my mind was on so many different things at once, you know? Um, and so I think that's true for a lot of people. And it was certainly true for me. Paula, I'm just going to jump in here for a second right now because I really want to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor today is Best Fiends, and I love Best Fiends for a lot of reasons. One, they support the military family and the military community and shows like ours, so yay, well done, Best Fiends. Um, But they're also super fun. Now, for those of you who don't know Best Fiends, you can download this five-star rated puzzle game, Best Fiends Free, today on the App Store or Google Play. That's Friends Without the R, Best Fiends, Friends Without the R, and you're going to be so glad you did because one of my favorite things to do is kind of like hang out by my pool and you feel the breeze and you just feel so good, maybe dip my toes in the water. And that's what it feels like when you play a few rounds of Best Fiends. And, you know, with Best Fiends, you can give your brain that summertime feeling all year long. And It's such a fun game, you guys. You really have to try it. I totally love it, and I play it all the time. It's like my little friend in my pocket, my fiend in my pocket, if you will, um, that I can whip out and play, and it just takes me away from being a single mom and, you know, caring for my 89-year-old dad. And Best Fiends is way more fun than the other matching puzzle games out there. And it's one of those games that makes like 30 minutes feel like 30 seconds, and it's totally free to download. And with thousands of fun puzzles, Puzzles to solve. There's something new every day. Now I'm over level 300, and I'm I'm actually really proud of that. But there's plenty more to go, and that's the great thing about this is there are so many levels. There's just so much to love about this game, and the music is good. The characters are cute, and actually, you know, I'm really quite fond of some of these characters, and I kind of have this relationship going with them, and they're familiar. So, and the learning curve on this game is not steep. Once you play a few rounds you get it. It gets a little harder. And sometimes there's like some really hard things. They're hard, but they're not impossible. And, you know, you feel just really good when you accomplish a round that's a hard round. And one of the things that I love about it too, is they have these little daily gift deliveries. And like today I hit my day 25 jackpot and that's where I got unlimited energy for 24 hours. So I got to spin the fiend of fortune. And that was also super fun. And I won 450 yellow meteor mites and I got four weights because right now they're doing this awesome array aerobics challenge and you have these 10 challenges to get to an aerobic tantrum and you collect weights and it's super fun you guys like really it's such a take me away from either the boredom or the frustration and like I said it's like dipping your toes in a nice summery pool and you just feel the sun beating down on you and it's just really great so download this five-star rated puzzle game best fiends free today on the apple app store or google play that's friends without the art best fiends and go on and spin to get your winnings for your fiend of fortune. I just love that. I'm going to say fiend of fortune like 20 times Paula today because it's just so fun to say. Um, You know, we're talking about kind of first careers, second careers, third careers, empty nest, you know, kids going over to step parents house and, 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 you know, what do you do at that time? And one of the things that you told me about was yoga. Yoga sort of got me started because when, when I realized that, you know, I was going to spend my first winter alone, I went to my yoga teacher training after work three nights a week and every weekend. And then I was alone on my mat because yoga, you're in a class, but you're alone on your mat. Right. And I thought, Oh, it taught me to be alone in the world. And I needed to be alone in the world. I needed to know how to do that. I mean, like you said, many women already know how to do that. They did that. I didn't never had never done that for me. And it was good for me to be alone on the mat. And I think that kind of solitude, especially for writing is critical. You need that kind of solitude. You do. You know, this is why we get our best ideas, driving alone in the car or taking a shower or in the bathtub or washing the dishes. Agatha Christie used to say the best time to plot a novel was while you're washing the dishes. Absolutely. 
absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that's funny when you say these things, I think of like, I was alone in my 20s, got married in my 30s and had kids, got divorced, was alone then for the last 17 years, you know, as a single mom. I wonder if my third act will have to be you know, being in a relationship with someone consistently, like, you know, I don't know what that, that will, will do for me, but I love what you said about like dreaming on paper versus what did you say? Dreaming on paper versus thinking on paper. Thinking on paper. Cause yeah, a lot of my job, you know, that with, with radio and with the, the digital production, I'm writing copy all the time. Like I'm writing all the time. I'm just not writing anything that's dreaming and I, you know, cause you have to be creative. But do you think that there's a, like, you know how your muscles fatigue after you work out and if you walk too much, your legs are tired. Do you think that there's a part of you that creatively fatigues by the end of the day? Is that like a muscle? Like, cause what is creativity? Well, that's a good question, you know, and I think it's different for different people, but I do know that you have a well and you have to prime the pump because the well can run dry. It runs dry when we're stressed out. It runs dry when we're tired. It runs dry when we've used it too much, right? Um, I know I'm writing 2,500 words a day now as I barrel towards the end of book four. And, you know, by the end of the day, I can't answer the simplest question or make the simplest decision because I have, I've spent that. That creative impulse is spent, right? And so I do think that if you want to do something creative, anything else you do, even if it's like writing copy or or guarding whatever else, you can you can spend that creative impulse and then it's gone. And so it's hard to recreate it and reignite it once you've spent it. So you have to be careful that you save that creative impulse for what you really, really need it for. Well, and I love that you say that because so many of us as moms or grandma use those creative impulses for things for other people. And then we turn around when it's time for us to write our own stuff. We're like, where did that go? What (laughs) happened? And now we know, you know, what happened that there is, um, you know, that there is a limit to, you know, it's not an unlimited resource. Right. No, no, it's not. And you do have to prime that pump and, you know, your, your brain, your body your emotions. They'll all tell you when you've run dry, you know? Yeah. Now let me ask you, I, you know, in my, when I do my kind of leadership and development work aspect of my company, I get a lot of, of 40, 50, 60s that come in. They want to uh, start a podcast. They want to have a YouTube channel. They want to have, you know, some creative outlet. And one of the things that they always say to me is like, I'm new. I'm a blank slate. I'm completely open. I'm trainable. And I'm like, yes, you are, but you're not starting from scratch. Like, you know, we come as 40, 50, 60 year olds, we come with experiences, we come with skill sets. And like, for me, the hardest thing in transitioning from dreaming, or what did you call it? Thinking on paper to dreaming on paper is I have 25 years of straight up hard copy, like no fluff, no emotion, no. So when you come from corporate America, which is where a lot of writers, I believe, come from, they had some sort of corporate career. Now they're like, okay, I'm ready to, you know, write and switch. What I found is it's not easy to switch those voices in your head and those old rules of keep the emotion out and, you know, brevity and keep it clear and, you know, keep it simple, stupid, if you write for the Marine Corps. (laughs) Well, absolutely. And even I had the same problem because I wrote nonfiction for years and I helped other nonfiction writers, you know, write better nonfiction. And so I found that there are some things you have to learn and some things you have to unlearn, right? Yep. To, to write, to go from writing nonfiction to fiction, even if whether you're writing law briefs, I have a lot of clients who are lawyers, you know, writing their first novels or whether you wrote um, whatever it is you, you happen to write. Some people it's, it's um, reports, some people it's you know, all kinds of articles, depends, journalists, whatever. Right. Blogs, like you name it. You know, there's tons of things, training manuals. I wrote training manuals for tech for years and I still find myself going like, oh, your word count is, that paragraph's too long. Right. Oh yes, exactly. And so there are a lot of things that you, you have to 
notice about your writing, right? And I actually wrote a, a blog post, a free blog post about this for careerauthors.com about, you know, what I call your nonfiction is showing, right? So it means that you, you, you can tell, I can almost always tell, oh, here's a nonfiction writer or a screenwriter who's now writing their first novel because they make certain kinds of mistakes. One is as a journalist, or if you're writing a report, you're, you're, you don't put yourself in it, right? It's, right. You've distanced yourself. And so to write a novel, you have to be in it. You know, you, you inhabit every character. You, it's like method acting. Right. So that it really comes across as authentic. And so you have to do that. You also you also have to lose all the jargon that you that you wrote with, you know, of wh whether whatever your industry was, there was jargon associated with it. And you have to sort of purge that. And you also have to throw in everything but the kitchen sink in fiction. You can always take it out later. But I think like you were saying, we edit in our heads. Right. And we edit to whatever standard we were writing to for whatever kind of medium we were writing for right fiction is is looser you have to loosen up a little bit i think most people who go from writing nonfiction to fiction they don't they're not these writers who turn in two hundred thousand word drafts and have to you know cut it in half they're the writers who come up with fifty thousand words and they're oops like my first novel oops way too short i have to find a way to not to even make more happen but just to weave in more of the elements that we keep out when we're writing nonfiction. Right. Because, you know, I remember my journalism professors and every, everything I've ever written for business is if in doubt, leave it out. Like, you know, if you're, if exactly. you're not sure if it should be in there, leave it out, clean and, you know, write, write clean, lean and mean, you know, all these things. And, and, you know, when you come to writing something that has all these emotions in it, that was the hardest for me because I feel them, but it felt like, Oh, like, I can't write that down. Like, there's no emotion in a, you know, in a tech manual, there's no emotion in, you know, new, well, I will say in our generation, yours and mine, there was no emotion component in journalism. I think that's changed right. today. Now, most of it's all opinion pieces anyway. Yeah. Um, but when you've been drilled, like I did at Northwestern, I went to the Medill School of Journalism, like we, that was beaten out of us, man. There was no, you know, nothing pejorative, nothing, you know, that could be, per, you know, right. anyway, misconstrued and word choice was huge. Exactly. Well, you weren't the story. And it was drilled into us that we were not the story. Right. right. And so now, you, like you say, that's changed a lot. <laughs> but, <laughs> but at the time, you, you were not the story. Right. And so now, in some way, you are the story. You're the, you're the writer. You're the director. You're the cast. <laughs> you're everybody. You're the costumer, yeah. costume designer. You're the set designer. So to write fiction, you have to play all these roles and really throw yourself into them wholeheartedly and not hold back. And that's what I had to learn to do, not to hold back. Well, and I think that's so important that we talk about this because when we look at like the 40, 50, 60 something second or third career writers, even as women, even as mothers, we hold back ours. It's for our children. It's for our husband. It's for our father or our mother or our sister or our friend. Like it's not innate in women to put themselves in all these roles for any other reason than knowing what that person needs. Yes. I mean, I think all writers have trouble explaining to their family and their friends and their colleagues that they want to sit alone in a room by themselves for hours, making up stories about imaginary people doing imaginary things. And it's even harder for women to yeah. justify that time and that, um, psychic space. And yeah. so I think you have to first give yourself permission that you get to do this, you know, yeah. and you get to do it your way and that whatever it takes to prime that pump and get those words on the page to dream on paper, you give yourself permission to do that, whether it's golf, whether it's gardening, whether it's meditation, whatever it happens to be that gets you to that space. Yeah, I, I love that because one of the things that, you know, I'm an avid reader. I have five Kindles, I kid you not, and they're loaded, like, and they're loaded with certain things. Like I have, I don't want, I'm, I'm like the person whose literary food does not want to touch, you know, like your peas cannot touch your potatoes. So like my, my tech books are all on one Kindle and that's my tech Kindle. Then I have my Oasis, which is like, oh, it's got all my, you know, like your books are on there. My, you know, like the books that I want to escape and live another life. Well, then I have my radio books that people send 
send me books all the time for radio. So those are all kind of kept in the radio. Now, sometimes like you were, you started out on the radio Kindle and you moved to my private enjoyment Kindle. Like, I know I get a little nutty with this, but when you have a lot of books, it's like you wouldn't throw all your books in one room and just, you know, put them all willy nilly. So having them separated like that, and I have hundreds and hundreds of books and I love them all. Like if you're not, if I don't love it, you get off my Kindle, you get off my shelves, you get, you know, given away to, to the, um, I give all my hard copy or my books that come to, for radio, go to the VA in Los Angeles reading room. So all of, you know, and, and then if I really love a book, like, like your books, I actually gave out as gifts. Um, but if I really love a book, I will buy the hard copy and I will buy the electronic because sometimes I want to read that book when I'm traveling and it's in my library at home. So I'm a little weird with all this stuff, but one of the things that, that reading other people's work does is I've always felt sad, Paula, that we're only given one life to live. You know what I mean? Like, like I would like to be like, you know, I'm single. So when I meet someone, I kind of go, well, what would my life be like if I'm with this person? You know, and a lot of people who've been married a long time don't have that opportunity. And I don't think young people do that that much. But when you're 50 and single, you do that a lot going, he likes to do camping. Do I want to spend my weekends camping? Or this guy really likes to, like the one guy that I'm dating now, he likes to read. He likes to kayak. He likes to swim. He likes to walk on the beach. And I'm like, check, 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 check. Those are all things I love to do too. So I look for that in a, in a partner. But when I pick up a book, like I can be Mercy Carr in your book for whatever 300 pages and I can try on these lives like because I really do I get really involved in the books like the whole world goes away and sometimes the kids will come in and go mom it's 5 30 in the morning and I'm covered myself up with a blanket and I'm kind of like you know like just barely holding the pages but I can't not leave the book and so it's amazing to me that as readers, we can easily hop into somebody's skin, but not as writers. Yes, well, writing is sort of like that on steroids. You know, <laughs> you know? Um, I was explaining to my mother who, who lives with us and uh, she's 86 and she does puzzles, you know, these 300 piece puzzles. And she said, well, what's it like? And I said, well, you know, writing act three, writing a mystery is kind of like creating a puzzle but there's no picture, <laughs> you know, right. you don't have a picture to go by. You're making it up. Um, and so I think that when you're, when you're writing, it's like reading only it's a more intense experience, right? Because you literally become these people just, yeah. you, you become them when you're reading, but when you're writing it, it, it takes that to a whole new level. And the more you're able to do that, of course, the more, hopefully the more, the reader will relate to your characters because you've inhabited those characters so well that they can inhabit them too. So do you cry when you write? Do you laugh when you write? Like I'm ridiculous and I have to have my own office because when I'm creating, like I created these, these videos for a company and the product, I won't say it, but the product is really boring. It's (laughs) one color there's nothing remarkable about it and it's used in the bathroom for old people like where do you go with this when you're creating a whole like advertising marketing campaign in this video so i found this music that reminded me of austin powers and then i'm like since the product was like bland beige i'm like i put it against all this like austin powers background and i'm laughing and i'm having the greatest time like in my own little creative world and then when i got to the end i didn't have an ending and then i started to cry because i'm like i built it up so much so there was like where's the climax where's the pinnacle in this little you know five minute video and I'm like I can't think of it so I cried and went to bed and eventually you know two days later I came up with something and it was fine but I didn't realize how much emotion is released in creativity so what happens to you when you're creating these scenes well if I can't make myself cry I don't think I can make anybody else cry. And of course, making laugh is even harder. It's harder to make somebody laugh because laugh, you know, humor is more subjective. But this book actually before is funnier. The other books have not necessarily been funny. Um, and so 
this book is funnier. I don't know why it's funnier, <laughs> but maybe it's because the pandemic is over, sort of. <laughs> I don't know. I'm feeling more optimistic. I don't know. But it is funnier. And I, I have made myself laugh. My husband always says to me, are you talking to me? Because I'm always <laughs> talking my characters out loud, right? I'm, oh, that's funny. And, and he'll be like, you're not talking to me, right? <laughs> no, no, sorry, honey. I am not talking to you. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's so funny. Well, do you think, and, and I'm going to say this because I was married to a professional comedian and for many years in my twenties, I wrote comedy. Like I wrote, I wrote jokes for comedians. I wrote, I punched up scripts for television. You know, when I worked, worked in the industry, um, what I found was funny can only come when real funny, not, not forced funny, but real natural organic funny comes from a confidence and a freedom. So like my first radio shows, if you go back 15 years and look them up in the archives, they're so boring and they're so awful. And I I just, I can't even believe they're me. They don't even sound like me. But as I got, you know, a thousand shows under my belt, 1500 shows, all of a sudden I'm more relaxed. I'm more confident and I'm more allowing my feelings, my insights, my humor to show. And my humor is never hurtful towards anyone. So I don't have to worry about being funny on the air, but I'm funnier now than I've ever been because I'm free. So do you think maybe in book four, there's some freedom, you know, you've got one, two, and three under your belt. They're bestsellers. Everybody loves them. Can you relax a little bit and make, maybe have a little more light in it? I don't know. Well, it's interesting. I mean, that may very well be true. Everybody said that book three was made them cry. Yes. And so I was like, oh, really? It made you cry. And so it was a very emotional book. Apparently, unbeknownst to me, the most emotional book of the series so far. And then writing book four, I was off to a really good start. And then my dad got sick and died unexpectedly. And this was in February. Right. And that sort of threw me for a loop. And I couldn't write. I just couldn't, I, I yeah. couldn't write. And then I finally, but I had a deadline <laughs> and I, you know, and um, my editor's like, you know, they don't want to move the book out another season. So you have to, can you, can you find a way to get back to writing? And I realized that the only way I could do it was to write my dad into the book. Nice. So now there's a character who's inspired by my dad. And, you know, that has really helped me get back to the writing. And I think because my dad was really funny, his hands sort of very dry, you know, kernel kind of humor. (laughs) And I think that that's helped me write the book and it's helped animate the book. I love that. I love that because I love the kind of the transmuting of grief into something creative. And um, and I think, you know, as especially as we talk 40, 50, 60, there are women who have divorces, maybe the death of a spouse, death of a child. I will tell you one of the best things I did when my mom passed away, you know, I had cared for her for five years and then she passed away and there was such a void in my life. How possibly could there be a void with two kids and my dad in the house? But there was, there was just an emptiness and an ache. And I poured it into these articles that I wrote for Inspire Me Today. And my mom was in every one of those things. And I felt like she was still with me. And I still feel that she's still with me. Um, Like she's sitting here next to me right now, you know, in spirit going, oh, you're not going to tell that story again, are you? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I have this rich life in my head, but I think writing is really helpful and it doesn't have to be just journaling. You know, when my mom died and I was really grieving and I was, I, you know, I had gone through a divorce at the same time. Like it was just a, we had a mess in Maple Leaf Garden and my therapist kept saying journal, journal, journal. And I would journal and then I would like rip in half, throw one half in the Walmart garbage can and one half in the Target. So no one could put the two back together because I had written all these awful things about how, you know, angry, like when you write your real feelings, they're ugly, you know, they're like. (laughs) yeah ugly crying ugly so I would either burn them or throw them in trash cans all around Los Angeles in parts (laughs) so you couldn't put them back together (laughs) um but it didn't it stopped working for me to write I'm so sad I miss you mom I'm I'm angry about this like that just stopped working for me 
And then what worked for me was transmuting that grief into these, you know, 100 or so articles I wrote for Inspire Me Today. And they, they ran a course, but my mom was present in all of those in some way. And if you look at my radio show stuff, you'll see a little butterfly hidden somewhere in the design of the websites in the show. That's my mom. And that helped me get through the worst of the grief. Yes. I mean, I never had much luck journaling for that, for that very reason. I think it's so on the nose journaling and, and, and I can't come to my emotional depths, right? The really hard stuff. I can't come to it straight on. No. I have to go sort of sidle up to it obliquely. And so, <laughs> you know, and, and I did write a lot about my dad when he was alive. I wrote a lot of essays, um, and about my dad, he was, cause he's a great character. He's a lovely man and a great character, but writing fiction allowed me to, it's not really him, but it's inspired by him. It's and, the spirit of him. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I could not have done it. I could not have read an essay, wrote it because my children said, why don't you write another great essay for dad for the service? And I said, no, I can't, I just can't, no. but I can read one of the ones that I already wrote. So I did that. I read one of their favorite one about him. I uh-huh. read that at the service, but that didn't help me you know, on the nose writing about him didn't help me no. but creating a character inspired by him because it was a little, little, not on the nose, a little, you know, way of sort of transmuting it. That really did help me. Sure. I can see that. Cause yeah, writing, trying to hit those feelings head on. I don't know how many people can do them. And then I don't know about you. Do you ever have a hard time identifying like if I'm working on an essay for a client or I'm ghostwriting a book or I'm doing something like that, it's one step removed from me. Mm-hmm. And that makes it easier for me to deal with these difficult emotions. But if you come straight at me with, you know, like talking about grief, I will like go, uh, 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 and then my eyes will tear up and I'll start to cry. And that's the end of it. Absolutely. I dated this guy once and he, I guess it's what other people say is, is like dating a woman because he was always asking me how I felt. Oh, he always wanted to talk about his feelings, and I and I didn't want to talk about my feelings. <laughs> I just wanted to go to the movies. You know, I I had no desire to talk about my feelings, and so he was always putting me on the spot. And I realized later that I don't really necessarily know how I feel till it's over. Right. And I could say, boy, I was really angry. You know, I was, re- you know, I always have sort of a delayed reaction to things. And I think a lot of women do because we're busy Absolutely. dealing with the emergency or the crisis or whatever is happening right in front of us. We don't allow ourselves to think about how we feel. We're too busy fixing. Right. And then later when it's over, we're like, oh yeah, boy, this, this is terrible. I'm going to cry now. Right. Well, and I, you know, I've, I've given a lot of thought to that thing because I'm, I'm, I thought I was just emotionally dead. Like I really did. And I thought, then I went through a stage where I'm like, I have no, I have no emotions. I'm like a three speed car. I'm either happy, sad, or mad. Like I have none of the nuances. And what I, what I discovered since then though, is when you hear about the flight fight or freeze in order to continue to function, I had to freeze. Like, think about it. If you are attending, you're helping somebody else, you're helping your kids, you're doing whatever, you have to freeze that part of you. And Mm -hmm. so I can't fly because I've got two kids. I can't fight because I'm not going to do that. So freezing was my way of managing everything. And I had to kind of like chip away at these emotions to free them because yeah, the person I'm dating now is very emotional and he'll say, Oh, you know, wasn't that this, didn't you feel this at the sunrise? And I'm like, I got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Big goose egg, but it's helping me to reconnect with that because I think as journalists, we're taught to freeze our emotions. You know, you can't go and cover a fatal shooting and be crying all over everybody. My first fatal shooting, I threw up on the cop. I'd never seen anybody, you know, with part of them blown away. So to see it, and it was a young girl, my same age, was really alarming. And he said, are you going to be okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. (laughs) All over his uniform. I just remember his boots covered like with my lunch. Um, But you know, there's so many places, corporate America is no place for emotions. So we've got journalism training, we've got corporate training, you know, so 
having these emotions. And I think as mothers, we always keep our emotions more or less to the side because so we can attend to the child's emotions. Absolutely. I, I, I think, I think it's all very critical to the creative process to find a way to tap into those emotions, even if you're doing it sideways, right? right. <laughs> However you can do it, find it, find a way, because that will, that, that helps prime the well too. It helps prime the pump. Absolutely. Well, that's why we talk about these things, Paula, because, you know, there's so many women that have stories in them. They want to share, they want to say something, but then they sit down and they're, they're like frozen. Yes. You know, I have a lot of clients who, who came to their first novels in their fifties, in their sixties, even in their seventies, people are ready to write when you're ready to write. And I think you, you reach a certain point in your life where you understand that, okay, this is act three. It's now or never. I'm going right. to sit down and I'm going to do this. And you give yourself permission to do it. And then, you know, you do it and you find the support you need, the resources you need, and they're all out there. You can do You know, you can do it. Oh, so many people, sure. so many people are in the same position as you are. And I think they say that one of the reasons people aren't going back to work after the pandemic is because they realize that the only thing they really liked about their job was going to the office and hanging out with their colleagues. They yeah. liked the camaraderie. But when they were stuck at home doing the work at home, they realized they hated that work. Right. <laughs> so they don't want to go back. Right. You know? And so I think the pandemic sort of really made this even more apparent that, okay, here's what I want to do. I'm going to take the chance. I'm going to live my act three to its fullest. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of having, you know, having life is, is what are we going to do next? What are we going to create? What's going to fulfill us? And, you know, I love that you can try on those things in books, you know, Like sometimes like, like even before I went into radio and this was many years ago, I kept watching Frasier and I'm like, oh, do I really want to do this? Like, do I really want to sit in a sound studio? Like, and then I'm like, well, he's dispensing advice. I kind of like that. And then when they had the guests on of, um, you know, like the voice guests that would come on the old, you know, they'd have some, you know, famous actor play a call in. I'm thinking, I don't want to do a call in. I want to interview people. And then, you know, where the universe is fun. I got a new office and who is in the office above me, but Larry King. Wow. So I'm like, okay, all right. I get it. Like, I know I go up and down the elevator. Max was three years old and Larry would be in the elevator and he'd be, he was such a nice man. And he was so friendly to my kids who came in the office a lot. And my kids were, you know, two years old and four-year-old. Nobody's going to be like, oh boy, we want them running around, but he was upstairs and I was downstairs. So it was better. But, um, you know, I think that there's signs out there Not that we have to make every decision by a sign, but I do think there's big signs out there that tell you it's time. Did you have any of those signs that just said it's time? Well, I had a lot of signs and and I, one of them was not a happy sign because I was laid off. You know, I'd been an acquisitions editor for for years and I was at the top of my game. I was running acquisitions for a, a, a nice publisher and you know, I came to work one day a week before Christmas and they called me and said, okay. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, I was completely, I was completely stunned. And, it, wow. and this, I shouldn't have been because this happens all the time. I was, you know, 55. And, you know, once you hit 50, especially in media, yep. sure you know, right. You know, that's it, you know? And, and so I thought, oh dear, now what do I do? I, I was not really prepared, you know? So I went home and um, thank God I had taken up yoga and done my yoga teacher training so I could do a lot of yoga. And our mutual friend, Gina Panettieri, who was my agent at the time, yeah. she, you know, she read a blog I wrote. Apparently, I wrote a very pathetic blog about, you know, it was winter and my dog was dying and I had no job and I was 55. And I don't know what I said, but she called me on the phone. She said, oh, dear, you need something to do. You should be an agent. And I thought, I can't be an agent. I'm not a salesperson. I'm an editorial person. You know, I'm a storyteller. I'm a story seller. I'm not a, you know, I can't do this. And she said, oh, yeah, you can. Just send me a, um, a bio and a headshot. And so I did, because you should always do what your agent tells you. So I right. did. And a week later, I had a thousand queries in my inbox from, from writers who wanted me to help sell their work. 
So I had this new career, bingo, overnight. <laughs> and so it was great because even it, it took the worst thing that ever happened to me career-wise. And it became the best thing that ever happened to me career-wise. And I think a lot of times that's the way it goes. Yep. Right? I have a completely new life. That was 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago now. Now, I've, you know, everything has changed in my life. At the time, I was single. I didn't have a significant other. I didn't really want a significant other. I was living alone because my children had all grown and gone. I was, you know, miles away from my parents who were in Las Vegas. I, I didn't have a job. I had a house uh, that I couldn't afford without a good job. And I didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah. And, and now, nine years later, here I am. I've got a husband, a lovely husband. I have a wonderful big house with my, where my parents are living with us now. Of course, just my mom. My children and grandchildren come to visit. I have the job of my dreams, plus a career as a mystery novelist as well. So that all came as a result of the worst thing that happened to me was getting laid off. I love that. I love that. Like, I just love that. Cause you know, when I, um, before I started radio, my, that's when my kids were born, you know, two and a half months old and three years old when my husband walked out and I wrote a pathetic blog. I actually wrote a blog. How I got started in radio is I wrote this blog that was all about, I picked up a shape magazine, remember shape magazine. And they had this like, you know, thinner thighs in 30 days and you're going to get this. So I'm like, I'm going to do this full body makeover. And, and they said, Oh, well, you need to journal, you know, make your little notes as you go. And I'm like, Nope, I'm going to blog my experience. And I was getting fatter. My, you know, life was falling apart around my ears. I'm getting called into court now. You know, my company's being researched for fraud, which, you know, was, was nothing happened with any of this, but my whole world was crumbling down around my ears and I was making fun of it, but not fun. It was the only way I could deal with it. And that's how I got contacted by a radio group. Who's like, you know, we've been following your blog. You're hilarious. Do you want to do a blog or do you want to do a radio show on motherhood? And I never woke up wanting to have this type of career, but it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And now 16, 17 years later, it's a completely different life. Right, right. Well, I also think that part of that, you know, for both of us was we both wrote something that was true. True. (laughs) It was true. And we didn't hold back about what had happened to us or how we felt about it. And people relate to that that's why they read I mean people read for the same reason they go to the movies or go to see theater they want to be moved yep right and and they can't be moved unless they identify with the characters and they go on that journey with you and so it's a great lesson for all writers just to be honest those honest emotions and you and then you will evoke those emotions in your reader and then readers will respond to you in a good way That's wonderful. Yeah. Cause I, you know, people have always said to me, like, why are you, you know, why are you telling people your husband left you? Like, aren't you embarrassed? And I'm like, you know why? It's because it didn't occur to me to lie about it. Like if I lied about it, I would have to live this inauthentic life. It's like, yeah, he did leave. Yeah. He did walk out. I wasn't good enough for him. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Doesn't mean like, you know, other people can read all these things into it, but I have to own my own story. And I think when you write, don't you have to own that story? You do. I mean, I wrote a memoir uh, about 10 years ago now, and well, 2010. So, and it was, a, it was a, called Fixing Freddy. And it was a dog memoir, a true story about a boy, a mom, and a very, very bad beagle. And it was, it was, took place the year after a very difficult custody battle. Um, I was broke. I had this kid. He we were both broken. We were both, you know, devastated. And it was really ultimately a story about us and how we became a family with this terrible puppy that I bought (laughs) that he insisted on having. And what's interesting about it is that I learned writing a memoir that you have to tell the truth and that, um, you know, because you have real people in it, right? My ex-husband was in it, you know? And, and so I had to be as hard on myself as I was on everybody else in the book. Right. My whole family. And in doing that, I realized that, you know, some, some hard truths about myself, some good truths and some hard truths. And, and that was great. It was great for me. 
you know, and, and by writing that book 12 years later, the ex-husband who was the villain in that book, I married him. Like we got back together. We, that would never have happened if I hadn't written this book. Right. And worked through all of the things like, cause there's so many things in motion there. Yeah. You've got your kid, you've got or you've got the kid, you've got the dog, you've got the new life, you've got the hurt, you've got the putting the old life to rest. You've got the, you know, is it going to be the villain victim, you know, triangle where you've got the hero, the villain and the victim, like you're going to play the villain and is some guy going to save you and your ex-husband's the hero. And then as you draw all that on paper or you think on paper or create on paper or dream on paper, all of a sudden the truth does come out. Yes, it does. And the truth, the truth really will set you free. I mean, there's something that's really true for all of us in, in small ways and in large ways. Uh, The truth is important. And the fact that you're able to look at yourself and your life with clear eyes really does free you to imagine the next act of your life but you have to own where you are to yep. get somewhere new. Absolutely. Well, Paula, how can people find your books? Oh, they, you know, every bookstore, Amazon, you know, bnn.com, your local independent bookstore. They all have my, my books, my, um, my mystery books. This is the latest one, the hiding place book three in the mercy car series. For those of you who do want to write, I have three books on writing. I own them yeah. all, so buy them. Shameless plug. You did not appear on my show for anything other than I love you. They are the best books ever. Yes. Three books on writing and, and a book on happiness, which is maybe my favorite, Happier Every Day, which yeah. is full of all kinds of research on why, we, why we're happy, why we're unhappy, and, and small things we could do to be happier every day. I think all of us need a little more happiness, and writing is one way to get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Paula Mounier, thank you so much for being my guest today. Again, we've got other episodes, so go ahead and Google her name under uh, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google Play, you name it, we're out there. Go ahead and pick up copies of her books. You will be glad you did. They are engaging. They're enthralling. They're fun. They'll make you cry. They'll make you laugh. You'll fall in love all over again. They've got everything in there. We talk about the kitchen sink, but you've done it very well. We'll be back again next week with another great interview. Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.